Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation podcast. Hello and welcome to Mintel Little Conversation, where our experts bring you fresh ideas and new perspectives on how consumers eat, drink, shop, groom and think. I'm Matthew Crabb, Asia-Pacific Trends Director at Mintel, based in Malaysia and working on developing our consumer trends and drivers and how they reflect what consumers want and why. Today, I'm joined by Diana in the US, Alicia in Australia, and Lisa in the UK. In that order, can you please briefly introduce yourselves and what you do at Mintel? Sure. Hi, everyone. I'm Diana Kelter. Um, I also sit on our global trends team at Mintel. Um, I am currently based in Austin, Texas, but I'm connected to our Chicago headquarters. Um, so I do trends coverage for North America, specifically US and Canada. Hey, Matt and everyone. Um, my name is Alicia Young, and I'm the trends manager for the APAC region here at Mintel. Um, so I oversee the content for the Mintel trends from an Asia-Pacific perspective, as well as client servicing for the region. So helping consumers to apply all of our great trends to, to the work that they do. Hi, I'm Lisa Contest, and like the others, I'm also part of the trends team. Uh, I'm a trends analyst uh, for the Nordic region in Europe. Uh, so I focus on cross-category consumer trends coverage uh, for the Nordic region. Excellent. Well, thank you for joining me today. Today, we are talking about convenience. The pandemic has significantly shifted how we define from remote working and lockdown living to online shopping for your to-your-door delivery of most things. Technology's role in delivering convenience has become even greater. As Mintel is in the business of being experts in what consumers want and why, today we want to consider how consumer expectations around the concept of convenience have changed what they now expect from brands in delivering convenience, and what are the next convenience benefits they expect to get from brands through technology. So today, I'm going to start with the first question. And this is really about that definition of convenience. What do we now mean by convenience in this new normal? Is it about saving time? Or is it about making things easier for us to achieve better behaviors, uh, such as recycling or healthier living? Or can we do both? So I'm going to go first of all to Diana. Sure. Um, so one thing I think that's interesting about convenience as we kind of are 18 months or so now into the pandemic is we know that innovation always changes our definition of convenience. Um, and in the U.S., we always do a report in our retail e-commerce library called the Amazon Effect. And there's one stat that we've done a couple of years now that's about um, how Amazon has changed consumers' definition of convenience. And we see that 82% of U.S. consumers who have used Amazon say it has find a uh, re redefine their definition of convenience when it comes to shopping and so obviously we know amazon's had such a, a major impact um, on reshaping delivery speed access um, but i think now we're seeing that trickle down because the pandemic has forced every type of brand every type of industry to innovate quickly um, it's also changing our definition of convenience at a faster rate too so it's just giving us more opportunities to think about what convenience means to us uh, so as you were saying matthew it could be speed still but it might be safety it might be um, convenience of this is going to be delivered on this specific day versus uh, quickly so i think I think we're just seeing it just reimagine how um, consumers think about convenience because there's more brands and more apps and more services consistently redefining it because of all the innovation we've seen happen. Great. So, Lisa, are you seeing the same thing in, in the Nordic region or in Europe in general? Yeah. Um, going back to the is it about saving time or is it about like other kinds of convenience? I think it's it's both like saving time is still really important. Um, 
and like in America, unmanned stores are also like growing quite a lot in, in the Nordic region. Uh, they have a lot of potential in making shopping like smoother and faster. Um, we've seen quite a few like small niche brands, but also like established bigger brands explore unmanned stores. Um, and they have a slightly different formats, but mostly they have all the entering, scanning payments. It's all done on your mobile phone. So it's all very quick and convenient. Um, and these are just popping up more and more. Um, so it is about saving time in that sense, but there's also a lot of brands us trying to help consumers achieve specific goals and adopt better habits because um, consumer priorities are shifting. So convenience in general needs to shift uh, with it. So brands are kind of trying to make consumers' lives easier in the ways that like really matter to them. Um, so that can be really varied, I think. Um, like I've recently seen in Sweden, this retailer, Hemka, uh, introduced in-store climate guidance um so they have like shelf labels highlighting seasonal produce highlighting plant-based foods and products uh, that are made with like rescued ingredients so um through that like climate um friendly eating and choices they can be a lot more like easy and accessible um so yeah i think like people are always trying to make their lives easier technology is really helping people achieve that it's, it's just simplifying so many things interesting so um so there's a combination of technology on one side and sustainability on the other. So Alicia, are you seeing a similar sort of thing across Asia Pacific? Yeah, absolutely. I think at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, it, it was really hard to get your hands on things like like toilet paper and bread and life's other essentials. I think we all remember that. And at that point, convenience convenience, sorry, shifted to be less about speed and more about that idea of accessibility. Um, as Diana just mentioned, the safety of knowing that, you know, some toilet paper is yours, that it's kind of on the way for you. Um, and to that end, I think subscription services took off because they're easy, but also because they're a guarantee. And that feeling of control was really appealing to consumers who I think were really lacking that that feeling of control. Um to your second point, and I guess to Lisa's point as well, um, I would argue that the vast majority of consumers won't adopt better behaviours, like no matter how well-intentioned they are, um, if they're too hard or they take too long. So they'll almost always take the path of like least resistance because for the most part, people don't really put that much effort and thought into every purchase and every action. So in that respect, they're really looking for brands to make doing the right thing. So like recycling, eating healthy, whatever, I guess they kind of value as the right thing, um, making that much more easy to achieve to kind of do that work for them. So I think in answer to that question, I think it really does have to be both. Yeah, I would just build on that with the recycling thing because I think you make a great point about it being easy. And I think we've seen a lot of brands offer be a recycling resource. Um, so I think there's exactly what Lisa was saying about like the guides, which I think helps people make those choices. But then there's also the, what do we, do, what do I do once I leave the store? And I think that's where some brands say, well, not my job anymore. You bought this, but we're seeing that shift. And a lot of brands are saying, bring back the containers and you'll get a coupon or you'll get, you know, a free product or something. So I think that resource to say, we're going to take that burden of what you do after you've the product and then kind of drive that loyalty to come back. I think we're seeing that kind of shift. So it builds into that convenience model, but it also drives loyalty when they know that they're going to have that full circle ecosystem essentially um, from when they buy it to how they return it. Very interesting. So we're going to have, um, recyclable and reusable packaging as well as subscription toilet paper. I'm looking forward to it already. <laughs> so, right, my friend. <laughs> um, so moving on, I mean, 
I think one of the things that we've seen recently is that use of technology to, to increasing people's convenience. So will we continue to rely on the convenience of things like QR codes and apps in the future for product purchases or brand service? Or will we go back to slower face-to-face human interaction once the pandemic is over? Um, do you think you know, convenience will be part of a broader experience, in other words? Um. I don't think it is an either or situation. I really think it'll be both. Um, I feel like QR codes and apps, they'll streamline purchasing. They'll make it an almost uh, seamless affair, you know, online, but also in physical stores. So as the customer kind of browses through a physical store, using all of that technology will be really helpful as well and make it really easy. But face-to-face interaction with like actual people will still be, I think, invaluable. Um and that'll be in-store and online as well, I think. You can definitely tell the difference when you're interacting with like a chatbot online versus with a person online. And if, you know, if you're a customer and you have questions that you really need help with, I think a subpar experience with a chatbot is very off-putting. Uh, it's, it's, it's annoying. So putting a human face on your brand is going to be more important than ever. But ensuring that those human interactions are helpful and genuine and that uh, the, the people that you have at the front of the store, they're really like they're your brand ambassadors, right? They're the experts in their products. And that'll be really crucial, you know, rather than having them there for that hard sell. Um, you know, it's, it's people at the end of the day that really help deliver a great experience for the customer. It's not at the end of the day, you don't really go home and say, oh, I had a really great experience on this app. Like you say, I had a great chat with the guy at the store. <laughs> and I think that's what people remember. <laughs> So no interacting with the QR code. So we're not going to have in-store staff wearing QR codes that you just scan. (laughs) (laughs) I just had a really great experience with that QR code. Exactly. (laughs) I I fully agree with you, Alicia. I think it's it's not going to be one or the other. It's going to be both because I don't know if you've seen this in your other regions, but when um, menus were replaced by QR codes, currently they still are. They started during the pandemic, but we still are seeing it. And I've seen a lot of people feel like it creates the need then to be on your phone when dining is supposed to be a no phone experience. Most people, we've kind of been shifting away from bringing up the phone when you go to a restaurant. And it's almost now the first thing you have to do is grab your phone to see the menu. And then you're looking at your phone. People think you're being rude when you're just trying to figure out what you want to order. So I think because, and we we called our technology trend for 2021 digital dilemmas, um, because that's exactly what it is. There's a reliance on it, but you also feel that burden of, okay, now that I have my menu open, maybe my Instagram pops up or maybe my email pops up and it just drives that. Then you're away from the moment you want to experience. So I think in those cases, we will see restaurants go back to whether it is a menu or something more physical, tangible that you're holding so you're not driven to your phone. Um, But I do think there's examples where QR codes for transactional things are going to be really valuable. Um, Lush, which is obviously a beauty personal care brand. I know even before the pandemic, they started replacing their signage in store with um, QR codes. And that's useful because that's more, you want to do that on your own time. You want to explore what is this? And maybe you don't want that salesperson kind of walking you through. You want to take your time doing it. And they could be translated to every um, every different language as well, Ooh, which yeah, is really that's cool. That's a great point. Yeah. So I, I think in those cases, we'll see it. But like social experiences, I think people are going to want that phone off time. Interesting. So Lisa, you were talking earlier about um, in the Nordic region, a lot of uh, unmanned stores have been opening up. Are we going to start pe- these stores being populated with, with people again, rather than just... Yeah, I, I think I think like, like the others said, we're going to see some kind of a, like a, somewhere, somewhere in the middle is where we're going to land, some kind of a hybrid approach. Because like, we, we got some 
a lot more used to QR codes and apps and retail tech. It's all become a lot more familiar to us, but not everyone is happy. Like in our global consumer 35 country data, uh, we found out that 50% of like UK consumers have dropped in line uh, in the last three months. Uh, they miss the human element of interacting with others when they shop online. Like they want to see other shoppers in the store staff. So um, I think like balancing these two aspects will be important. Um, and uh, like in, in Sweden, the beauty retailer Kicks they introduced a feature to allow um, users in physical stores to like skip queues to the cashier, so they have to pay at the at the queue. Uh, they can instead pay on their mobile phone, even though they are at the physical store. Um, so this can like help be a lot faster and avoid that queuing and make it make it faster, but also more convenient in that it can give staff more time to talk to people, give advice. And, and just help so it can have best of both worlds in that sense interesting uh, interesting also that you know you're talking about faster and slower at the same time mm-hmm. um, which brings me on to my next question great segue um, so <laughs> great. I mean we've talked about this idea of uh, convenience being linked to speed uh, and this idea of super fast delivery has become a norm but will we continue to really demand speed when what we want is to sort of balance convenience with more sustainable perhaps eco-friendly practices in other words can we encourage to slow it all down and have you seen any examples of brands that have been helping consumers to slow it all down uh, Lisa, back to you again. Yeah, uh, I think that is really interesting because, um, especially in my region, super fast delivery is still like continuing to expand, becoming more available to more consumers. Uh, but there is that growing awareness, particularly in, in like online fashion, of the environmental impact of deliveries and so on. Uh, so something that I saw was just very recently the Finnish clothing brand Tamsilk. So they recently started charging for online returns. Um, they wanted to kind of raise awareness of the uh, environmentally taxing impact that unnecessary returning has um, and just find more responsible ways of, of doing that. Um, and I've seen Design House Limmer has also done similar things for sustainable reasons. So returning online will be, it will cost you, but returning to physical stores is still free. So there is that. Um, so I think this is more like a using stick punishments to kind of try to encourage people to adopt more eco-friendly practices but i think i expect brands to also use rewards to achieve the same but also just increasing transparency and creating awareness um because we see a lot of brands add eco-labeling and information like carbon footprints on like product packaging and menus so similar things could be help it could help um in deliveries like consumers could maybe slow down if brands show them what impact slower deliveries could have and in, in general, I think that just consumers will expect more options and flexibility of where and how and, and um, when they want their purchases delivered. That's an interesting point. So, I mean, logistics obviously has a part to play in that and the costs of delivery and the waste and the energy used and so on. Now, I mean, if we look at the APAC region, we've got a lot of different, uh, a lot of countries at different stages of development in terms of their infrastructure and so on. I mean, how, how are we seeing that sort of play out perhaps differently across uh, the APAC region, Alicia? So back to how can, how can we encourage consumers to slow it all down? Um, I think it can be done as long as, like Lisa just said, you're in constant communication with the customer and you're setting their expectations from the beginning and you're giving them the context as to why perhaps their delivery will take that little bit longer. Um, so at the moment, you know, if I order a product online, 
I can choose normal delivery or I can pay extra for express delivery. And as a customer, I have literally no idea how they get it to me any faster if I just pay them $14 more. Like, is that $14 worth of fuel that they're going to, you know, put in the truck to gun it down the highway? I have no idea. So if it said, you know, what was my carbon footprint with each option? So like the ship takes this long, um, but the carbon footprint is lowest, high-speed motorbike, way worse for the environment, but, you know, it gets there within the hour, then that's, you know, and your footprint is really big, then, you know, I could make my decision accordingly. And for the most part, I would probably, and I think most people would, they choose the ship. They choose like the longer one, right? Mm. Um, so when people have all the information that they can make those, those better decisions that better align with their values. And the other thing that I wanted to mention, and I think something that does, you know, kind of work for APAC as well, because logistically it is really tricky. They're really decentralized for the most part. Like we've got highly dense urban populations, but then rural areas that, that really don't have that much access to e-commerce at all. Um, so I think an interesting concept here could be this idea of decoupling delivery and, and shipping. Um, this especially would work when it comes to, to gifts um, and subscription boxes as well. So if you can create kind of a great digital delivery experience that excites the recipient immediately, so like a text or an email or whatever else, that maybe also allows the person to customize or amend what they're actually going to get before it gets shipped, then the gift like has already kind of been delivered, so to speak, and then the actual package can take a few more days to actually arrive. So then you've got that kind of anticipation element that's just as exciting as receiving a package, and that's part of the overall experience. And I think brands have become so focused on, on speed at all costs that they neglect the other options that they could utilize, um, you know, different ways to create that experience because ultimately it is all part of the purchase journey. It is all part of the experience for the customer. Um, but I think it would work with food delivery though because anticipation is not as fun when you are hungry. <laughs> <laughs> good point. Very good point. I think it's worth mentioning. <laughs> <laughs> no one anticipates a pizza. <laughs> 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 so, Diana, what are you seeing in, in terms of this sort of slowing it all down or change of speed in, in North America? Yeah, I think um, we we are seeing the, kind of a similar thing where obviously it's all about expectation and what the retailer or service sets from the start. So obviously, you know, when you think of Amazon, they are they're known for speed. So that is going to be their value proposition. But I think what we've seen happening, not just this past year, but for a while now, brands are having to figure out what their um, value is. If they're not going to compete with Amazon and speed, how are they going to differentiate themselves? Um, so that might be other elements of convenience that aren't just like two day shipping. Um, that could be we have a brick and mortar. We have this partnership with this brand so you can return it at this. Service. So other um, elements that you're not just trying to compete head to head with what this mm. giant company offers, but how can you on a different level offer convenience? And I think that goes back to Alicia brought this up earlier, how, you know, last year we saw a lot of shortages of things um, that maybe the retailer you used to go to was taking like a month to get a product or you were going to be delayed. So it really forced people to look, I think, at other brands. We saw a lot of people looking local. Um, we saw a lot of local businesses step up to offer some of those essentials that we needed. Um, so I think then as you last year, you went into the holiday season, or you went into those big shopping seasons, people just had 
a wider variety of brands and services that were top of mind um, because of all that research they did um, when they needed it the most. So I think that's really just giving people more of a, a broad playing field of where they can look for things. So if one service that you use your go-to is delayed, you're like, oh, well, I know this one too now. So I think that's just really helped people um, have more options. Options is, uh, I suppose, the, the key thing there. And that's an interesting point because in many ways, I, th- I suppose a lot of people have the options. They're used to the technology. Uh, they have more choice thanks to technology. Um, but sort of one of the things that uh, you know, technology does potentially is to, uh, to sideline certain groups. Uh, and one of the questions I've got in my mind is in this rush to launch new technological conveniences, uh, such as, you know, if we talked about unmanned stores and, and QR codes and so on, uh, there's the possibility that we, you know, leave certain consumers behind, such as people who are less tech savvy, older people, those on low incomes, and for, for example. Um, so do you think there's a real, um, so for brands, can they continue to offer convenience uh, to these demographics, the, the, those who are less tech savvy and still make money and still help uh, you know, generate new business. Who wants to tackle that one first? I'll let that, leave that one open. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think this is quite an important question. Like, because um, these things are not accessible to everybody. It can be really, really daunting to change your routines and use new, these new technologies uh, if you've never done anything similar. Um, so, like, this goes back to what I mentioned a little bit before about the hybrid like, approach. Um, like Bonbot, it's um, an upcoming automated robot-operated ice cream shop in Sweden. It's set to open later in the year. Um, so it's, it's fully robot-operated. You order with your app and you pay and the robots make your ice cream. Um, but what they have is these mood managers in the store. So these are um, human staff that are there to kind of feel, make the shop feel more inviting, but they're also, again, able to help customers as needed. So I think that is really, really important, even though... It's still an unmanned store and everything's automated. You still have that point of human contact back. It's somebody who can help you, somebody who can show you how it's done and how you can get started. Um, and thinking about the future also, when we are going to have more unmanned stores, I think having that human element is going to be even more important um, because when, when automation is everywhere, is our stores going to feel too, well, robotic, clinical, <laughs> empty of you know, interaction, how's that going to appeal to consumers? So um, that's just an interesting thought. But I don't expect all unmanned stores to do this because obviously added costs and so on. But I think it's something that could help. Interesting. Mood managers. Mm, I like that yeah, idea. Yeah, mood managers. And yeah, that could be a new <laughs> career path for me. <laughs> One trend I've found interesting is kind of this return to vending machines as well that I think is really interesting with this unmanned operation. And at Mintel, we've had the cool vending trend for probably like a decade now. So it's not a new trend that we've been tracking. But I think this past year, we've just seen it become more personalized, more premium, more a wider variety of products that we're seeing in vending machines. And I, I can see that being like a bridge to like the future because vending machines are inherently, you look at it, you know what it is. It kind of caters to everyone. It could probably accept cash, even if it is tech focused. Um, so it kind of gives that access to anyone who might walk up to it and not be like um, 
as daunted as they might be by a kiosk, which maybe has a lot of buttons you have to push and you don't know how to use it if you're not tech savvy. Um, so I think that could be for retailers or food service um, and a lot in between kind of that starting point to have that contactless experience, the convenience for sure, because you don't have to talk to anyone. You just get what you need and leave. Um, so I think that's going to be an interesting trend of how that kind of gets reshaped to be more premium and a little more personalized through the technology angle for consumers that um, are ready to use it. And then for, if they aren't, then they don't have to use that. So I think it's a nice balance. Interesting. So more uh, vending machines selling more different things to more mm-hmm. mood managers. Excellent. <laughs> uh, yeah. So from an APAC perspective, I think absolutely we're in danger of leaving quite a number of people behind. Um in the Philippines, 71% of the population is unbanked, um, and in Indonesia, it's 66%. So huge amounts of people are just, they don't have bank accounts. And this effectively kind of, it locks them out of e-commerce as well. So with the onslaught of the pandemic, suddenly all these, especially like yeah, all of Southeast Asia, they suddenly wanted everyone to go cashless. And we saw a lot of different fintech players kind of jump in to help uh, ease consumers off cash, I guess. Um we saw Billy's, for example. It's a brand new one that um, offers pay later solutions to um, consumers that don't have credit cards, which obviously benefits the merchant as well, because then they get to access a much wider consumer base, which I think is, is really quite important. It says 66% of the population who, you know, can't can't buy with you, then that's a, a lot of people that, that cuts out of your, your potential customers. Um and I think, yeah, which I think it just makes it certainly very worth it in those markets. Um, when it comes to older or, you know, less tech savvy customers, um, my favorite example is actually uh, China. Um, JD, they've set up this special kind of service zone in their physical stores that uh, help people kind of through the shopping experience because it's an extremely smart store. Like it's not set up to, you, you've got to have a phone, you've got to use your apps. It, you're buying the, the highest of technologies in there. Um, and so you've got these special kind of zones where they kind of help older people to purchase these things. First off, explain what the products are, but also how to actually buy it, which is probably a new experience for a lot of people. Um, and as we spoke about before, having these really knowledgeable and approachable human staff will remain, I think, extremely important to help guide people through the process. Interesting. Yeah, the, the financial thing you brought up also makes me think of how Buy Now, Pay Later is offering, creating its own convenience for consumers too. And we're really seeing a lot of companies invest in that, like Apple's announced they're working on it for Apple Pay to be inherently. We're seeing Square just acquired Afterpay um, so that it will be right in that transaction when you walk in you'll have that installment spending option so i think that's creating a whole new idea of uh, accessibility and convenience too for consumers great well that's i mean a lot of interesting examples there um and i guess as trends analysts you must see a lot of these kind of examples and presumably you just scratch the surface of what we're seeing but i suppose of those new technologies that promise us so much more convenience what or which technologies in your opinion do you think will consumers really take to and, and why do you think that is and i'm going to go back to diana <laughs> <laughs> i think there's um an interesting uh when you kind of find a 
a store that you shop for consistently when you get that mobile app and you can have everything you need. I think that's going to be a key way we're seeing um, companies create loyalty and customers rely on that because it's part of their daily routine. So I think anything that connects to a a daily routine is going to inherently offer a lot of value because I think to how many consumers pivoted to online ordering or mobile ordering this year, maybe they never did that. Maybe they just went Mm. into the restaurant and ordered um, because that's how they always did it. And then they realized how nice it is to online order and just walk in and pick it up and just you're done. Um, And so I think those kind of apps, like I think of like your coffee apps, like the Starbucks app, the Dunkin app, anything that you're doing routinely, you can pay, you have your rewards all in one place. I think they have always had a value, but consumers just kind of tested it more this past year. And suddenly, like, this is probably the most valuable app on my phone because I'm using it daily. So I just think there's there's a new level of, wow, this is a lot more convenient than maybe I thought mm. it was um, for some of these apps. And Alicia? Yeah, I think um, anything that kind of facilitates curation and subscription. So, um in China, for example, blind boxes are a massive thing. So you purchase a box, so you don't exactly know what you're going to get. And then half of the fun is actually like finding out what's, what you've actually purchased. Um, with the curation, yes, we love that. Uh, with the curation element, um, it allows the customer to kind of put themselves in the hand of experts as well. And usually from a tech perspective, there is a quiz, there's some AI involved that kind of works out exactly what kind of thing you're going to like most. Um, so that personalization kind of bit, but it still lets the experts pick out what they think you should try or what they think you'll like. And this especially works for things like, you know, uh, wine, where if you're not an expert, you might not necessarily know what you should try or what you should look for. Um, then subscription for your everyday essentials. Um, I'll go back to toilet paper because that was <laughs> just such a big moment, you know, but like for that kind of thing. Um so and I'm thinking of toilet paper because in Australia, um, brands like Who Gives a Crap um, are doing that really well. So they combine sustainability with, yeah, that's the name of the brand. Of the brand. Um, they're combining sustainability with convenience so that it's something that you really never have to think about. It's just kind of always there. Very interesting. Yeah. I hadn't thought about the sustainability thing as, a, as a, in that um, way as, as being part of that sort of future, perhaps, of how convenience would develop. Um, particularly, I think a lot of people think of convenience and sustainability being opposites in some ways. Yeah, definitely. But I think if you know exactly what you're going to need and, and from a logistic perspective, you know when the customer is going to need something and you know exactly how much they're going to need and all of that mm. kind of thing, you... You can kind of pre-plan it. You don't have to return anything. I think it does really allow for kind of sustainable elements. I don't think you have to trade them off anymore. Cool. So, Lisa, what's what's your opinion on on the future of convenience? <laughs> um, I really agree on the, uh, the thing you mentioned about convenience and sustainability, uh, but also what Diana said about like everyday routines and so on. Uh, I really think that innovations that help people's everyday routines, but also that like match their values that help consumers solve important issues in their lives. Like sustainability is a big one. So is health. Um, so one thing I've seen is retailers introduce these um, online tools for shoppers so they can analyze their grocery shops. So whether they've shopped online or in shops with, using their membership card, uh, they can record their shops and then analyze them uh, like how much protein, how much sugar, how much um, fat did they buy in a week, a month and so on. 
And they can also track sustainability. What was the carbon footprint of this shop? And they can kind of compare and they can just help people make choices, healthier choices or greener choices. So I think these kind of things are going to expand and become more commonplace because people might want to change their diets or their habits, you know, be more sustainable or healthy, but it can be challenging. People can lack information, time or just the energy sometimes. Um, so I think these kind of solutions are hard. Yeah, exactly. So anything that can help them overcome those barriers, I think will be really welcome. So in, in many ways, you say what you're saying, I suppose, is that information is part of the convenience and, and providing better information, using technology to provide better information to help people mm. be, for example, more sustainable, live healthier lifestyles and so on. Yeah, because this is something people are already looking for. So uh, brands can just do the work for consumers and just bring convenience in that way. Brilliant. Well, I'm afraid that that's all the time that we have for today. Um, so thank you very much for all your opinions and your insights. Um, thank you to our audience for listening. Make sure you subscribe, rate and review this podcast on iTunes or on any other platform you get your podcast from. Please spread the word and we'll catch you next time for a new episode of Little Conversation. If you want to know more about Mintel, who we are and what we do, head over to mintel.com and follow us on social media. We're on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. And check out our blog for even more insights from our analysts. Thank you. Thank you.